Once again, happy anniversary to one and all as we celebrate our 42nd anniversary as Amokyo family. Well, uh, it's COVID. It's not the best kind of celebration we would like tools, you know, to have. But nonetheless, the kingdom of God continues, right? And we will continue as well our pulpit series on the kingdom of God. And so now we come to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Let me read God's word to us this afternoon. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure all diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If the people do not welcome you, Leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Come, let us pray. O Holy Spirit, who inspired the scriptures, fall upon us afresh, whether we be here in this century or at our homes, or wherever we may be. Holy Spirit, fall upon us afresh. Grant us your revelation as to receive your word. Importantly, Lord, help us to believe your word and to be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fall in! Now, these are very scary words, right, for those of us who have gone through national service or any form of uniform organization. Fall in! Those are not words that we generally like to hear because they are not very, uh, you know, pleasant to hear. The Lord kind of impressed upon me these two words when we had our last prayer and praise session on 16th of September. Surely those of us who have gone through national service and even of us who have not gone through kind of understand what these words really imply. It implies an assembly, a gathering of people. When the command fall in is, shout, is shouted, everyone scrambles very quickly to get into neat lines, uh, three neat rows. Now, we also know that the purpose of this command is not for its own sake. The platoon sergeant does not call the soldiers to fall in without a higher purpose. Maybe he wants to address the men and give battle instructions. Maybe it's just together for physical training, or maybe just simply to assemble them after dinner to bring them back to the bunk to retire. Whatever the higher purpose may be, the command fall in, first of all, assembles all the troops and does a very basic function, basically to count and account for the total and present strength available. And so falling in is the very first step in which uh, the, whatever the assignment the commander has in mind, the first step is to fall in, to gather the troops together. And that is exactly what Jesus does in today's scripture text. That's the first thing he does. He gathers the twelve. Of course, I don't think Jesus shouted, fall in, you know, I don't think they came together in a nice, neat rows. Nonetheless, Jesus gathered his people the disciples. Now the theme for September's prayer and praise, and I hope you can join us for October's prayer and praise as well. The theme for September's prayer and praise was continue in the direction already given. Continue in the direction already given. And in my Zoom breakout room that night, I was asked what direction I was continuing. And so I said, I'm going to continue preaching on the kingdom of God. And so during the prayer time, when I received the impression of falling in, I was curious 
uh, pardon the pun here, if you know what God was saying, would fall in line with the next sermon. So I very quickly referred to the pulpit schedule. And lo and behold, when I looked at the scripture text, when I read it, I was pleasantly surprised. That was what Jesus did. He gathered the disciples, the troops together. And so Amoka family, on this anniversary day, I hope we hear God's prophetic word to us. God is preparing and raising up his end time army. Don't let COVID-19 confuse or distract you. God is assembling his people once again. The question is, are we hearing that call? Are we hearing that call? Are we willing to obey that call to be assembled for God's higher purposes? Yesterday at our LCC retreat, I was asked to remind all of us that really all of us are on mission with God. A survey was done some time ago where 45% of us here at Amokyo Church feel that we are not called to missions. And so those involved in the survey was you know, very sad that 45% of us actually feel that we are not called to missions. But sorry, you know, really, that's because we really have this narrow and mistaken concept of missions. Missions is not just about going overseas. If that's your understanding of missions, erase it from your mind right now. Missions is not just about going overseas, but really partnering with God wherever He goes. You know why? Because God is always a missionary God and God is everywhere. So missions really is partnering with God with whatever He desires to be done. Wherever we go, all of us are supposed to be on mission with God. So coming back to this idea of assembling, to fall in means we must completely stop what we're doing you know, and just stand in line. I could still be eating my dinner at the cookhouse, but when the sergeant shouts, fall in, I have to drop everything, you know, quickly return my plate, run, and then fall in and stand in line. I have to forego my dinner, my interests, my preferences, whatever I was doing at a moment in time, when the command, fall in, is shouted, I drop everything and join the ranks. So to fall in means we put aside our personal agendas, interests, and we stand together for a higher purpose. And so I truly believe God is calling and preparing His people, all of us as Amokyo Church, to fall in as we celebrate our 42nd anniversary today. Are we ready to fall in and to be counted for God's higher purposes? Pardon the pun again, 42. Fall in to be counted. Hopefully that will help you to remember. Now, are we ready to listen to God's kingdom assignment? I can't see you behind your screens, but I certainly hope you're shouting yes, and if you are on the chat on YouTube, do type yes on the chat if you're ready to be counted to join God's uh, end, day, um, end time army to be assembled for his higher purposes. Now look at what Jesus does after he gathers the disciples. First of all, he gave them power and authority. Now power is not the same as authority. Don't misunderstand, the two are not the same. What is power? The word power is translated from the Greek word dunamis. And some preachers make the mistake of associating dunamis you know, with the word dynamite, suggesting this explosive power. But that is not possible because dynamite was only invented in the 19th century. Instead, the word dunamis simply means the ability to do. Just give you a simple analogy here. Do you think I can run a marathon 42 km in under three hours? No. <laughs> I simply don't have the ability to do it. As much as I wish I can do it, I can't do it. I don't even think I can finish the marathon right now. So that means I don't have the ability to do what I wanted to do. 
Now that's true for many of us when we live our Christian lives. The good that we want to do, we do not do, Paul says. And the evil that I want to stop doing, that I keep doing. That we have no ability in ourselves to do what is right and pleasing to God. So when we have the power that comes from God, it enables us, gives us the ability to obey God, to do whatever is necessary because God has given to us now this power, the ability to do what we desired in the first place. What about authority? Authority is what we have legal rule and dominion over. We know some examples here. <clears throat> the policeman has authority over criminals to arrest them. A government has authority over its citizen to enforce law, to collect taxes. A platoon commander has authority over his troops to fight the battle. But as I said, power and authority are not the same. Imagine this, a scrawny policeman who has all the authority, right? Because he's got a police badge, police uniform, everything. But he may not have the physical power to overcome a criminal maybe twice his size. A vigilante, on the other hand, who is stronger than the criminal, may have all the power, ability to subdue that criminal, but he has no authority to do so because he's a vigilante. He's doing it on his own authority. He doesn't have the authority of the state. And so to successfully apprehend a criminal, a policeman needs both power and authority. You need both power and authority to accomplish the task. And so here, people of God, Amokil family, look at what God has given to us as believers. Power and authority. Power and authority. Now what are these power and authority for? Is it for our own sake? To feel proud, big-headed as Christians? We've got everything that we need? No. Look at what Jesus says. And let me here literally translate the original Greek for us. Jesus says he gives us power and authority over all demons to restore physiological functions. This is my interpretation. You won't find this in any translation, but I'm translating to you from the original Greek. To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice that we have spiritual power and authority over all demons. The words cast out or drive out, as the NIV has cast out, is not there in the original Greek. It simply states power and authority over all demons. Now, why is this listed first? Well, I believe it's because the world we live in is under the dominion of Satan and his minions. This world is ruled by the kingdom of darkness. And so in order to set people free, the very first thing we need is power and authority over demons. Again, the words cast out are not there in the original Greek. We simply have all authority and power over all demons. I haven't verified the next story, but I think it illustrates the biblical truth. And this story was just recently related to me. <clears throat> it was said that John G. Lake, a great evangelist missionary, arrived in a certain African village you know, as a missionary. The people there refused to accept him unless he was willing to stay one night in the most haunted house in the village. And so he readily agreed. That night, the bed shook violently and even shifted you know, from one end of the house to the other end. Obviously, John G. Lake was uh, woken up, but he immediately rebuked the evil spirits and the shaking stopped. But then he realized that the bed had shifted. And so he commanded, you evil spirits, come back here and shift the bed back there. <laughs> I don't know whether how true it is, but I think it illustrates the point I'm trying to make. The authority and power that God has given to us is not merely to cast out 
demons, but to have full authority over them, to command them. As someone who does deliverance ministry, I'm telling you that we have, all of us as believers in Christ, have power and authority over evil spirits, over demons. Not only to cast them out, but for example, to bind them so that they stop their tormenting work. Not everyone is possessed, but a lot of people are tormented by evil spirits, and we can bind these evil spirits to stop them from tormenting people. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12, verse 29, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Who is the strong man here? It refers to Satan. And so Jesus is telling us a spiritual principle. Satan may be strong, but one who is stronger is coming in, and that's Jesus. He's coming in to bind this strong man up and then plunder him. And the question then is, what is Jesus plundering Satan of? It's people. Satan has deceived, enslaved, taken, robbed many things from us. But Jesus, as our eternal deliverer, remember the king of the kingdom, he seeks to deliver, he's out here to plunder Satan and deliver people from his clutches. Praise God for that, that Jesus is the strongest man ever and he plunders Satan. And we join him in this work to set people free. Again, we are the ones who have been rescued and delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. So to recap, the very first thing God does, Jesus does, gives to every disciple is to have power and authority over all demons. In here, but I want to add a cautionary tale. I want to caution us against certain excesses of you know, certain extreme charismatic church who teach that there is an evil spirit behind every tree, every nook, every corner, every problem. The problem with such an extreme thinking is that people don't take personal responsibilities for their wrongful actions. For example, if I have an eating problem, I don't straight away try to cast out the spirit of gluttony. Maybe it's my lack of self-control. Or I'm not dealing with the problem, the root problem, because I turn to eating as escapism, for example. So don't go around, you know, thinking that there's an evil spirit behind everything. At the same time, I also must add that we mustn't swing to the other extreme and think that every problem is simply man-made, simply at the human level, that there is nothing spiritual or supernatural in this world. We mustn't think that every problem is just a personal issue or a systemic issue. The Bible does have many references to unseen spiritual forces and spiritual beings at work. Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Pastor Emmanuel and I, you know, we just performed a complex deliverance case these two past Fridays. I'm telling all of you that we have authority, power as a believer, every believer, when we act on the power and authority of Christ Jesus. I've ever been asked by evil spirits, you know, when I try to do the deliverance, they ask me, who are you? And my reply to them is, I come in the name of Jesus Christ. Who I am doesn't matter, but I come in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. The, de the demons don't refute this fact. They change their tactic. They don't continue, you know, taunting. But instead, they change the answer and they say, no, we refuse to come out of this person. So it's not that they do not recognize the authority. They refuse to submit to the authority. Just as a criminal, you know, can resist arrest, but it doesn't remove the power and authority given to the policeman. 
So we need to recognize very clearly as what the Word of God says, at the name of Jesus, every believer has power and authority over all demons. Now just a very quick sidetrack here, especially for the younger ones in our midst, you know, who like to watch, you know, those horror movies. Please don't watch them. Not so much that I'm scared of them, you know, influencing you, attacking you, stuff like that. No. The point I want to say here is don't glorify and amplify the power of these evil spirits. These movies are created to feed us lies, to make us think that these demons are more powerful than us. In reality, we are the ones who have the power and authority over them. And so in order to win the battle, the best way the demons have to do it is to deceive us. And so when we think that they are scary, then we will no longer want to confront them. They make us think more of them than they truly are. Because once we don't exercise our God-given power and authority, they continue to do whatever they want. So family, once we know our true true identity in Christ Jesus, we are supposed to comprehensively defeat all demons in Jesus' name. So remember that. Don't glorify the evil one in any way. Remember what the Word of God says and glorify the Lord Himself. Next, Jesus says He gives us power and authority to do the following. Seems like synonyms, but there are slight differences. To cure diseases and to heal the sick. These are the terms from NIV. On the surface, they do appear to be synonyms, but in the Greek, the words are quite interesting. What NIV translates as cure comes from the Greek word therapeuin, which from where we get the word therapy. right? And the sense there is to provide care. What NRV translates as diseases has the sense of impairment of normal physiological functions, which impair either a part or whole of an organism. And so the thing that God, Jesus empowers us to do, really, is to walk alongside, to provide therapy, the restoration of bodily functions. So the best way I can think of this is think of physiotherapy, helping someone to be restored in the bodily functions that was once lost. The Antonian plague and its twin, the Cyprian plague, both now widely thought to be caused by smallpox strain, ravaged the Roman Empire from AD 165 to 262. It's been estimated that the combined pandemic's mortality rate was anywhere from one quarter to one third of the Roman Empire's population. While staggering, the number of deaths tell only part of the story. This also triggered, really, a profound transformation in the religious culture of the Roman Empire. On the eve of the Antonian plague, the empire, and almost the entire empire was pagan. The vast majority of the population worshipped multiple gods, multiple spirits, believed that every tree, uh, river, you know, had their own spirits. And there was Christianity, a monotheistic religion. Only 40,000 adherents at the moment, at that time. No more than 0.07% of the entire Roman population. Yet, within a generation of the end of the Cyprian plague, Christianity had become the dominant religion. How did this take place? Rodney Stark, in his work, The Rise of Christianity, argues that the pandemics made Christianity a much more attractive belief system. You see, while the disease was effectively incurable, there was palliative care, provision of food, water, for example, to spur the recovery of those who were too weak to feed for themselves, to care for themselves. Plus, is motivated by Christian charity and an ethic of care for the sick and enabled by the strong networks around which the early church was organized. 
the empire's Christian community was willing and able to provide this kind of care. Roman pagans, on the other hand, opted instead either to flee from the plague or to self-isolate in the hope of being spared infection. And so Christians were the ones who survived the ravages of this plague at higher rates, and their pagan neighbors developed uh, then their pagan neighbors and they developed higher levels of immunity more quickly. Seeing that many of these Christian counterparts you know, survived the plague, either because of direct divine healing and favor or the long-term benefits and care provided by the Christians, many pagans were drawn to the Christian community and they became believers. So you see, long-term care provided by Christians, that's the physiological restoration, physiotherapy that we are called to do as kingdom people. He granted the Christians back then this wonderful, unprecedented opportunity to evangelize. Is God saying something to us in our world today? Think about that. Let me move on now to the other phrase in the NIV, which translates as heal the sick. Well, what it really means is heal the sick, <laughs> right? No mystery here. The word heal comes from the Greek word iomai, meaning to heal, but it has that miraculous connotation. So instantaneous, miraculous healing, and the sick simply describes someone with an illness. So the third thing Jesus empowers us to do is to heal the sick. You remember the sermon by our brother Wilson Cole? Jesus never gave any method to heal the sick. Instead, Jesus simply gives us power and authority to heal the sick. So remember that. Power and authority has been given to us to simply heal the sick. And this is the privilege of all believers, not just the pastor. So all in all, if we put all this together, what this means is that both instantaneous miraculous healing as well as gradual therapeutic healing are what we are called to do as the church, as the people of God. There is both great power available for instantaneous healing as well as patient love for gradual healing. Here I want to share a testimony sent in by a mother, uh, one of our church members. Her son has profound or total deafness in his uh, right ear since birth. They have gone to hospital as well as uh, uh, public hospital as well as private specialists for second, third opinions. And everyone said that his birth defect is simply too severe. With no options, they just left him as it was. When he was three years old, God told his mom to bring, her to, bring him to our church for healing service. I prayed over him. Nothing happened. This was five years ago. But while she was there, God gave her these words. You have authority over him as his mother. You have authority over your son as his mother. Intercede for him. Frankly, she wrote in her testimony to me, she was disappointed that God didn't heal him at the service and she had no idea why she had to come in the first place. Still, she remembered the words that God had told her and very grudgingly, she prayed. For the years after that, there were many times she doubted and stopped, times that she forgot. But God always reminded her of the words he gave her. <clears throat> and all these years, the routine hearing test for the son came back with the same results, profound or complete hearing loss, until August this year. The hearing test for his right ear improved from profound healing loss to severe healing loss. They asked the audiologist how this was possible. 
But the person, the professional said, there's no way she can explain it. The son now has a hearing aid. It's not completely healed, but can put on a hearing aid. And the brand of the hearing aid is called Superpower. <laughs> Great. Praise the Lord for that. I share this testimony because I want to tell us it was Jesus who told the mother that she had the authority over her son. It's not just the pastors who have power and authority. Once we recognize this truth, which the devil has been deceiving us to think that only a select few can do it, you know, once we recognize that's a lie and we begin to believe the word of God, we will change the world for Christ. So let's not lose sight of what our kingdom assignment is as the kingdom people of God. We are to proclaim the kingdom of God. Signs and wonders are not ends in themselves. Signs really point towards the destination. And in this case, it's a person, the king of the kingdom of God. Finally, Jesus says we are to proclaim, indeed, the kingdom of God. We have to proclaim that the kingdom of this world has been defeated. We are proclaiming that there is a new king and his name is Jesus and his kingdom is the most powerful and will reign eternally. We are proclaiming to the people that there is salvation in Jesus' name. Sins can be forgiven. The power of sin is broken and we can truly be set free. That's the good news we are to proclaim. Let me now draw this sermon to a close by looking at verses 3 to 5. Jesus told the disciples, take, no nothing, for the, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the town. If the people do not welcome you, leave the town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. For many people, when we read these verses, the assignment sounds really intimidating. Take nothing for the journey. Oh, so scary. You know, for us Singaporeans especially, we are so good with plan A, plan B, plan C even. You know, we have so many backup plans. We not just have one credit card, we have multiple credit cards. We will never ever run out of anything, right? That's our Singaporean mentality. And so it seems very really scary. But let's really reflect on what Jesus is saying here. In the original context, of course, the instructions were brief, direct for a reason. The disciples didn't even have much belongings with them. You know, many belongings with them in the first place. They have already given up everything to follow Jesus. And so this statement is not so much about us trying to show that we have faith. The main reason why Jesus told the disciples to bring nothing is because they needed Nothing. They already have everything. Spiritual power and authority has been given to them. Plus, they have the Heavenly Father who will provide everything for them. And so the main reason why Jesus told them to bring nothing is because they needed nothing. The second reason why Jesus told them they can stay and go as circumstances detect is because they needed to prove nothing. They don't need to prove themselves. If they're well-received, good. Continue to stay there and do the good work. If they're not well-received, it's not your problem. They need not fret. They should just move on. We must have this mentality, all of us too. It's not about us. It's God's kingdom. It's God's responsibility at the end of the day. Our assignment is simply to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and let those who are willing to hear receive God's good news for themselves. It is our duty to ensure, you know, really, uh, not to coerce people to receive the good news. We don't force people into the kingdom of God, forcing them to believe. No. We just have to do our duty to proclaim it. We never force people to convert. We simply proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and win them over by God's power, love, and truth. 
But amazingly, despite this possibility of being rejected, verse 6 says, the disciples went from village to village and there was healing everywhere as a sign that the kingdom of God has indeed come. Now before I conclude, some of you might ask, isn't Jesus' command here only addressed to the twelve disciples? I don't think it applies to me. Lah. On the surface, it seems like a fair question. But if we take this line of approach, then really no scripture passage will ever be applicable to us. Because quite frankly, no scripture passage is written to us. But here's the important principle we hold on to when we interpret the entire Bible. Yes, the Bible is not written to us. We are not the original audience, but the Bible is written for us. We are not the original audience. Yes, the Bible is not written to us, but the Bible is written for us. As 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 declares, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Therefore, while indeed Jesus was addressing the twelve disciples in this particular context, the command to proclaim God's kingdom and all the spiritual power and authority is indeed applicable to all of us. Let me now conclude. To everyone who hears this message, Fall in. Fall in. And if you're watching this sermon at home, can I get you to just do a prophetic act and get up, stand up where you are, if you are able, of course, as a prophetic act of obedience to be enlisted into God's end-time army. God is assembling His people once again for their kingdom assignment. God has given to all of us as believers, every single disciple, power and authority not merely to cast out demons, but over all demons, to bring both therapeutic and miraculous healing to peoples, and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So Amokyo family, as we celebrate our 42nd anniversary, this is our assignment, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And remember, we need nothing, because God has already provided everything. And secondly, we don't need to prove anything to anyone, because God is ultimately in charge of the results. And I believe, as the disciples did in that passage, we will see healing wherever we go. So Amokyo Church is our 42nd anniversary. Are you ready to fall in to be counted? Fall in to be counted? Yes. If you are, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this message. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you give spiritual power and authority to all believers. Father, I pray once again that you unveil from all our eyes and hearts the lies of the evil and to deceive us, to think that we have nothing in ourselves, that only special people, anointed people can do it. That's a lie. Father, we are unto nullify that in Jesus' name. When you say we want to stand upon the word of God, which powerful declares powerfully declares the power and authority given to us. So Lord, we pray, you help us to be your obedient people, to continue to extend and proclaim the kingdom of God wherever you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.